everybody is looking for red flags. Everybody is in such a place of fear that you're looking for what's wrong instead of what's right. I want to educate people about like if we throw around these words, oh, he's breadcrumbing you. Oh, he's ghosting you. Oh, he's gaslighting you. We lead now more than ever into relationships with the idea that it's going to not work. Instead of leading with, what if this does work? What if this is a good person? What if we're working on this together as a couple? But, but if I take the stance of constantly being worried that you're going to hurt me, and I'm coming from this place of hurt, I can't manifest anything positive because I'm, so, I'm protecting myself all the time. So I feel like people are playing chicken. It's like, I'll show my cards when you show your cards, but I'm not gonna show my cards until I know you're safe, but how am I gonna know you're safe? And so it's like, we can't even get started because of so much fear. Welcome back everyone to Diary of an Empath. So today's guest is Dr. Diane Strakowski. She is a psychologist and one of the nation's leading experts in dating relationships and attachment styles. She helps men and women find their love style and helps men and women find success with dating and relationships. Dr. Diane, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so humbled and so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Curious, for having me. I love what you do and helping people be vulnerable, which is awesome. Yes. Help me because <laughs> yes. I know that you you do everything in the dating realm. I've been following yeah. your page and I love the content that you push. And I know that there's people listening that are kind of like me in the hot seat. I'm 36. I have not been able to find love. And I'm like, man, I need help, I think, just as much as my listeners do. But tell me about how you got into this niche. Where are you from? Tell me a little bit about your background. Okay, I'd love to. I am originally born and raised in Chicago to um, Polish immigrants. Really? I'm from Chicago. Yes. Awesome. Um, So my parents were Polish immigrants. My dad was a plumber. My mother was a housemaker. We had no money. Uh, Life was a struggle. Um, And I can't say that I, you know, my parents didn't have an awful marriage, but coming back to relationships, I, they didn't model a secure functioning relationship. And Carice, you would appreciate that I too found love later in life. And how I got into all of this was really my own personal experience, then blending that with my professional experience, which is I didn't get married till I was 40. I didn't meet my husband till I was 41. Mm. And even as a therapist myself, I had an anxious attachment style, but didn't know it. I went to seven different therapists Wow! in the process, in the journey. I moved to California, actually, because I had a fiance in my 20s, found him cheating on me. I mean, that went horribly. But that was my entree into therapy and then deciding to become a therapist myself. But nobody was talking about it. And out of my own omission. And if somebody had said to me, Diane, you have an anxious attachment style. And if I had been able to wrap my head around it and understand it, understand how that was complicating my relationships, I really feel like it just could have saved me so much time and energy in the wrong relationships. I listened to you and that it reminds me so much of me. I think we have a lot Mm -hmm. in common. I too, um, I'm 36 and Mm -hmm. uh, much in my twenties, I was very much an anxious attacher 
Yeah. And so when I hear you talking about this, I'm like, oh, that was so me. And so yeah. as you were navigating this and as you started to navigate your anxious attachment style, did you find that that kind of led you into the path that you're in right now? Absolutely. And I really feel like I needed to then be on the other side before this became my professional mission. So I was a general therapist doing cognitive behavioral therapy, but so much of the treatment was for people with anxiety, severe depression, eating disorders. I worked with chronic pain, sleep disorders. I mean, I did my postdoc at Stanford. I was treating everybody, but I didn't didn't know how to treat myself. And then when I could kind of label it like this is anxiety, then I could apply some of those things. I fired my last therapist (laughs) and kind of said... I need to like turn these skills on myself, right? Because we're helping everybody else, you know. And it's like, I'm not really caring for myself and saying that this is my priority and this is really what I want and what I need. And the older I got, I realized that, you know, at the end of the day, relationships are just the most important thing. And so I got serious about it finally, about finding love and about relationships. And um, thankfully now I'm happily married and on the other side. And now I feel like I was there on my journey and now being here gives me a different reference point. Well, you give me hope, number one, because I I think a lot of people listening can probably relate. And I hate to, because I talk about manifestation a lot and I hate... I hate putting these words into the universe because I don't want to attract that. But it's hard because I find myself in this circle and sometimes in this echo chamber with other people too, that it's really hard to find a good man. It's really hard to navigate dating right now. What do you feel like is, I I know this is a blanket statement and it's hard to narrow it down to just one thing, but what Mm -hmm. do you think is the biggest problem right now with dating? Side note, did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a professional tarot reader? It's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future. It's a tool to connect with your guides and your higher self to help you in certain areas of your life. Tarot genuinely changed my life and it can potentially change yours too. Click on the link in this podcast for more info. Okay, back to the podcast. Chris, I think people are not giving each other enough chances. I think everybody is looking for red flags. Everybody is in such a place of fear that you're looking for what's wrong instead of what's right. And part of my mission too, and um, I also follow a lot of reality TV dating shows because we have so many examples of what to do and what not to do, but I want to educate people about like, if we throw around these words, oh, he's breadcrumbing you. Oh, he's ghosting you. Oh, he's gaslighting you. We lead now more than ever into relationships with the idea that it's going to not work. Instead of leading with, what if this does work? What if this is a good person? What if we're working on this together as a couple? But, but if I take the stance of constantly being worried that you're going to hurt me and I'm coming from this place of hurt, I can't manifest anything positive because I'm, so, I'm protecting myself all the time. 
So I feel like people are playing chicken. It's like, I'll show my cards when you show your cards, but I'm not going to show my cards until I know you're safe. But how am I going to know you're safe? And so it's like, we can't even get started Mm -hmm. because of so much fear. And so this is why people, I was just watching um, Married at First Sight. Do you know that show? I have. I've had people tell me I should apply for it. (laughs) I'm like, I don't think so. I, I, I know. It seems, but like, I was shocked. 1,500 people like applied for the last series, ready to turn it over to somebody else because they're so frustrated with modern dating now and how you can't get started. Nobody responds. You can't even get a date to save your life. That's why people are fascinated with these shows because they kind of take some of that out Mm -hmm. of it for you. And they bring you like good, attractive partners, right? Like, wow, maybe I would sign up for that. Mm-hmm. given how frustrating the other process is. It is very frustrating. <laughs> I, can att- I can attest to that. Yeah. And and by the way, I dated hundreds too. I mean, I was on the apps. It, it looked a little bit different back then, but dating hasn't changed that much. It's always been hard. But the swipey apps, uh, when Tinder came around in 2012, has gamified the whole thing and created that paradox of choice, which has made it harder. Do you feel like social media has impacted dating? Because like you, I used to be on, <laughs> I'm going to show my age, Mi Gente. Um, we had MySpace back in the day, yep. plenty, of, plenty of Fish, which is, yes. oh my God, that was the worst of the worst. But yes. you know, it, it has been around for quite some time and I did find some success with it, but I was rather young. But I feel mm-hmm. like the apps that are around now, which seem to be standard because we're so connected, but we're so disconnected, I yes. feel like for me, in my opinion, it has dehumanized us. Yes, Yes. looks are important, but so is energy. So is connection. And it's very difficult to – it's very easy to just say no, 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 no. But I find myself doing that. My daughter, side note, my daughter who is 13, she finds it entertaining sometimes to take my phone. (laughs) And I I probably shouldn't be doing this. And she'll go on there. She'll be like, that's interesting. We're going to say no for that one. Even she's like, wow, this is terrible. (laughs) Like, this is my kid. So I feel like it is hard. And so I don't know if that's my mindset, if I'm just looking at it like, no, 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 no. Or if I saw all these men in person, would I still be having that same mindset? What are your thoughts on that? Well, so here's what we know, and I like to break it down to statistics and facts. Um, So this number is moving, but the reality, the majority of people do meet online, about anywhere from 40 to 50%. But that's not 100 Okay. Right after that is friends of friends and back to the old fashioned kind of way of meeting. But what happens is sometimes your friends are not good matchmakers for you because they might even be too picky and exclude people. Like you hear about it all the time that like there's this couple who was in this similar friend group, but nobody thought to introduce them because they're like, oh, you wouldn't like them. So there's this idea that you have to have people be matchmakers for you. And I literally say, recognize not everybody meets on the app. Second way is through friends of friends. Third way is through community groups, church groups, you know, community-based organizations. Fourth way is through work. 10% of people meet through work. 9% of people meet randomly, like at the gym, yoga class, something else. So You have to actually figure out a way to meet people wherever you are, whether you're in line at Starbucks 
And instead of being on your phone, look at someone and say, hey, got a question for you. Can you help me out? And they'll be like, what? Lemon or blueberry? They're like, what? Lemon or blueberry muffins? Which one should I get? And, and then they're like, you've started a conversation. But people are so consumed by this stranger that I'm following on Instagram that I'm missing all these connections that are happening in real life. And yes. I live in Silicon Valley and everybody's got their head in their phone. And so there could be an attractive stranger sitting next to you on the train, but you're so used to getting your feedback from this that we miss people. Yes. Yes. And so I say, don't blame the apps. The apps are just an introduction site. It makes things easier, but harder when you're saying we're more connected, but less connected. And really, if, if what's important is finding a good match and a good person, then you have to take a breath, look into somebody's eyes. And, and the real way we connect is through contact. There's just no other way. I agree. Social media has made things completely different. We are in a generation of swipe left, swipe right. We are in a generation of notifications. We are distracted. We are constantly after those dopamine kicks. And I yes. talk about this a lot. We are a dopamine addicted yes. generation. Yes. Um, we are addicted to the likes. We are addicted to the comments. And I think that I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of spending time mm -hmm. on my phone and not paying attention to my surrounding and, and not being present. Yes. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. I am guilty of it. I struggle with going up to somebody. And you know, it sounds good in a perfect world, everything that mm -hmm. you're saying, right? But for someone who's listening that is like, okay, Dr. Diane, I don't know how to approach somebody. I don't know how to meet somebody in a natural settings, especially for maybe even men that are listening that don't know how to approach somebody. What's the best way to go up to someone? Do you just do it? Do you just spark up conversation? You got to just do it. Um, because here's the thing, it's kind of the same way with depression. People will say, I'll do it when I'm ready. And like, you're never going to be ready to do hard things. And if it's just, it's not, it's not a personality, it's a lack of practice. So when I look at these things, whether it's somebody who has social anxiety and might really be so anxious that they're having a panic attack the thought of like having to say hello to a stranger, you're never going to feel ready, but you will build your confidence when you do it. And it's a, it's a muscle. And the more that you practice, the easier it will get. But because we're hiding behind our phones and we're hiding behind anonymous comments, people feel free to say everything and anything. It's, it's actually, I mean, I get a lot of negative comments that are just like, what? Nobody would say that in person. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Use your 5, 9, 10, 20 has something to say. <laughs> what, what the heck? I mean, I'm like, I'm like trying to be neutral here. But when it comes to people and relationships, you have to make it a priority and then you need action to follow up. So manifestation, which is like a hope, is nothing without action. I mean, even the secrets, you, you, I can't just like manifest money. I have to take action to get money. And if I want love, I, I need action. So if you say that relationships are a priority, 
you should be able to look at your schedule and see habits that are related to what your value is. So if you say you want love, okay, and I've asked people this question, Carice, how many hours in the week are you spending towards getting love? Okay, I ask people. So on a scale of one to 10, how important is it to you to find a partner? Nine, 10, eight, nine, 10. It's the most important thing. How many hours a week are you spent in, in your search for love? Zero, one hour, five max. So basically what you're saying, it's like, I want a job, but I'm not interviewing for jobs. I'm not applying for jobs. You can see the disconnect. I'm smiling because that's me. <laughs> okay. And I did the same thing. And when I got serious, serious about love at 40, when I was like with yet another narcissistic bad relationship, and I thought, what the fuck am I doing? Right. Me. Mm-hmm. I said, no more. Done with these. Done, done, done. And I said, I am going to do a dating plan, okay? I took out my calendar and I said to myself, I'm going to get objective. I'm going to stop being emotional and stop being a victim and stop poor me, all the bad men, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I am going to meet one new man a week, okay? I got very intentional. I took out my calendar and I had to do whatever I needed to do to get one new man a week. And I said, I'm going to do this. For in a year, I'm going to meet 100 men. Okay, that's how I got serious. And how many men do you think I needed to meet before I met my husband? Oh, I don't know. 20? (laughs) 51. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I met 51 men. I was on it. I'm like, I got to, you know, if I'm going to preach to people to do this, I got to be able to do it myself, right? I can't be a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. I met 51 men in um, February, from February till November. Okay. Till I met my husband. Okay. Some days I had two dates a day. Okay. I had to go everywhere. I went speed dating to meet these guys. I went to any event that was local. I went to meetups. I got, I was on three different dating apps. And my friends thought I was a little bit cuckoo. Okay. Like, good for you. They were like, look at her. And I'm like, but it's a priority for me. And what I was doing before was not manifesting what I wanted. So I tell people, how many hours do you think you're going to spend with a partner in a week? I, I don't know. If you have a partner, how many hours do you think you spent with them? Oh, God. More than, I would say at least 30 to 40, depending on yeah. where I'm at in the relationship. So, so I'm cutting it down to a, a fourth of that. And I say, spend 10 hours a week on your dating plan. Commit that to makes 10 sense. hours. And that's powerful. Everything that you said is okay. so true. And I, I yeah. probably go on, this is really sad. I probably go on one to two dates a year. And okay. a, well, a part of me was like, is it Orlando? Is it the men? <laughs> it's not going to work because if it's a numbers game, and I hated to think of it that way, but I needed more experience. And if I was the bachelorette and I showed up and there were 30 attractive men, then I've just gone through 30 weeks faster. But I don't have a whole cast of characters and thank God I'm not being publicized. So I just said, I'm going to have to do this myself. And what I ended up doing, Chris, is I ended up saying yes to a lot of men that I would have otherwise said no to. Mm. And by learning that and then by dating, by saying yes to pretty much everyone, because I had to meet my goal (laughs) to go on these dates, I really did 
get a lot of clarity. And so then when I finally did meet my husband, I was like, oh yeah, this is it. And I knew. And so it was so worth it to me because at the time I was doing it, I had no idea like what would come of it or I would build a platform or have a, I I mean, Instagram wasn't around then. I mean, I had no idea where I was going with this. I just said what I was doing before, which is hoping for it to happen and thinking it was going to fall in my lap was not creating the outcome that I wanted, that I would have to get intentional and put 10 hours a week. So then the first 10 hours are spent like getting good pics, writing a good profile, screening people. But then the other 10 hours were actually on dates. There's nothing short of being in person with someone else. And another big mistake, I don't know if you know that people make, they either have dates that are too short and they're like, oh no, we're done. And they don't give people a chance. And they go and like, you know, bad lighting at Starbucks or something. I'm like, you got to create a date, an actual like, mm, kind of sexy. Yes. Feel good about myself, right? Because if I don't feel good about myself, I'm not going to be putting out a good vibe. You know, I did a podcast with a girl named Coco Beauty. And mm-hmm. one of the posts that I posted was her talking about men should pay on the first date. And it went, it blew up. And let me tell you something. I had so many people, I was so shocked that came on my post and were pissed off. Men, Mm -hmm. well, men deserve free meals too. Well, I mean, should I get you a shirt that says men deserve free meals? And there were so many women that went on there and said, well, I don't want to feel like I owe them something. And even though we, we said that on the podcast, Coco said, you don't owe them anything for a meal. But these, even women were upset saying, no, I'm independent. I'm this, I'm that. And these, and men I said, I don't want to say these men because I, I don't want to categorize every man, but men and women were upset. It was like, I would say 50-50, but I was shocked because I guess I'm a little old school. I feel like if I'm going on a first date with you, you should put in some effort to take me out to dinner or put in some effort to plan something nice, not coffee. I'm sorry. Uh, and I think quite honestly, to split all of that, I think drinks and apps. Okay, it's not going to break the bank. And if you're a man who's dating, you need to put some money into that, too, because by the time the woman gets her hair done, her nails done, her makeup, I mean, women make less money. I mean, I I could go on and on about that. Yes, I am old fashioned, too. I'll tell you a story, Chris. So I met this guy online and he was late. I'm at the I'm at the restaurant already. He says, order a bottle of wine. I'm like, I don't drink that much. <laughs> I just need a glass. But okay, he told me to order a bottle of wine. And then it's the end of the day. And I'm like, oh, he's kind of sexy. This is good. And then he he wants to split it. And he says, um, well, you know, on first dates, I go Dutch. I'm like, I'm sorry. If you wanted to do that, you probably should have showed up on time. And you probably should have stated that at the start. But my expectation was that I patiently waited for you. And if you'd like to see me a second time, I suggest you pay. That's to me the audacity. Just yes, the audacity I, I, that- I was shocked. So he did. I don't even know what to say to that. But I, I feel like a lot of these stories that I hear, and okay, I'm probably going to get some backlash for saying this, but I think that women are also- 
allowing these things to happen. We're in this like, oh, I'm independent. I don't need no man. Okay, yeah, that's fine. You can be independent. But as a man, most men want to feel like they're providing. They want to feel like they're bringing something to the table. Let them. That's Let right. Them. And, and and again, and this man ended up, ended up, he did pay and he said, you are right, Diane. If I wanted to say that, I should have stated it at the beginning. And I said, because what rule you have established for yourself, you haven't communicated that to me. And I'm about clear and open communication. But yes, it's not that I can't afford my own drink. It's that two people are going to be putting into this relationship. And it would be different if I had invited you. And it would be different if on our third date, I got the tickets because I wanted to. I'm all about reciprocity. But reciprocity doesn't mean 50-50 either. You know, if one person, the man or the woman is making, you know, considerably more, these things need to be factored in. But we're not there yet. And if the first time you're saying... I don't want to take care of you. It's not about the money as much as it's about security. Correct. And when I talk about creating a healthy functioning relationship, it's, are you going to make me feel safe? And if I can't feel like you can provide something for me to make me feel safe, then I'm already guarded. Yes. So- It's different if mutually together, further along, we decide we're going to go Dutch or split or whatever, but we're not there yet. And the beginning is so important that if you don't put your best foot forward and the woman's, again, dressing up, I say the same thing to women. Don't show up like coming from the gym, not putting any effort in. I'm going to show up. I'm going to put some effort into a podcast because I care. And, And that's how you should be about everything. So let's not be so lazy and then complain when we don't get the outcome we want. So now if I say I'm going to do this dating plan and God damn it, like I was not, failure was not going to be an option. I was just going to meet my numbers and do what I needed to do to get where I wanted to be. And I having done that now I've been married for 12 years and my friends who were single back then kind of waiting for it to happen. Where are they? They're still single. The effort that I put in is paying dividends now in my secure functioning relationship that if I hadn't done that, I don't know where I'd be. I just have more of the same. So powerful. And I agree with everything that you're saying. It's it's a mutual benefit. You have to put in the energy where you're getting energy. And yes. I feel like a lot of people, especially when it comes to dating, are lazy. Do you feel like, and I, 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 I'm I, going to offend yeah. a lot of people, but it's true. I do feel like there's a lot of lazy people out there because yeah. we, are, we are in a generation of instant gratification. Yes. And we're always expecting this perfection because we see perfection every single day when we open yes. our phones. Do you feel like men and women at our core are looking for the same things? Do you feel like we're the same or do you feel like there's a difference with, I mean, you know, a lot of people, if you ask what men want, they're going to say sex. And if you ask what women want, they're going to say intimacy. I find, and I, I really genuinely think that men want intimacy just as much as women. I I don't know if that changes over time. And maybe that's the difference with men and women. Do you feel like it's the same? Or do you feel like there is a difference with time when it comes to men and women? Well, what's fascinating, and I think what's changed historically, just to put it in context, um, I think the process of dating has changed. 
And back to this concept of sort of like laziness. Back in the day, and I'll just say the good old day, when I ask you out on a date, I have to get my hair cut, ask you out formally, wash my car, show up and talk to your father and say, I'm taking you out to a movie. What time am I going to have you home? And then I say to myself, because I've taken action, ooh, I must like her, right? Now, when I just like jump in an Uber and go grab drinks with you, it's like very little effort. So I don't actually now feel like I care, if that makes sense. That does. Which is a separate topic from your question about sex and do men just want one thing? So part of the whole process of dating, though, is before... That was called courtship, right? These steps that I took, these actions that I take, were I was courting you. And now what's happened, I hate to say, and there could have been some men who got salty about paying for the free dinners. So I'm trying to link this all together. Men paid for the dinners, didn't feel like they got a payout. They were horny and so are the women. They want sex. So now I be in this kind of casual sex era where I believe that why should I court you if I'm not going to get anything from you, Mm -hmm. right? So this is how casual sex and this whole, you know, kind of generation sort of happened where I'll only court you after I think it's worth it, Mm -hmm. which leaves women feeling incredibly insecure because the data says that the likelihood even of a woman having an orgasm during casual sex is very low. So it's really kind of just unfair that the men got jilted from the beginning on some level. The women, then then it became this whole pickup artist thing. Do you remember that? That was sort of spawned in L.A., This is probably before. Yeah, the whole pickup artist thing started where men just needed the lines to get laid, essentially. Right. So like, (laughs) what do I what do I need to say to get laid? Right. Mm -hmm. They're horny. I get it. And Mm -hmm. and then it was kind of like, well, if the sex is good, then maybe I'll court you. Which just is a mind fuck, really, because it screws this whole idea that I'm good enough and I'm valuable. And then what happens is then you throw in the swipey apps And then you throw in this gamification of people and nobody feels special at the end of the day. It's Mm -hmm. it's just sad for everyone. But I think personally, everyone should just like get off Tinder, meet in real life, hold people accountable, get back to courtship. Honestly, that day in dating was easier because the women felt valued. The men felt that they were also not being taken advantage of. I do think we need better communication skills. You shouldn't be using somebody for a free dinner. You should be responsible for yourself. And then when you really care for someone, then you step it up. I love how you're putting the responsibility on both because we can can talk about, oh, men this and men that, but there is a responsibility of women too because there are a lot of women out there that just want the money or just want this. And like, yes, that is icing on the cake. Of course, we want a man to be able to be financially secure. I know for me as a financially secure woman, Mm -hmm. I want someone equal or more than, than where I'm at, preferably, right? But there are a lot of women and men who don't have 
let's say the the best expectations or intentions when it comes to dating. Now, I want to back up because earlier in the conversation, you mentioned attachment styles. And I think this is mm-hmm. a really important subject. There's probably some people listening, wondering, well, what, what does that mean? So what are attachment styles and what is the connection with attachment styles in dating and relationships? I love this question, Carice, and I could talk about this all day. So John Bowlby, founder of attachment theory in the 1950s. So this has been around for generations and there have been more studies done about attachment theory and everyone comes back to, it's all about your childhood. I hate to say that because it feels negative. Like, well, I can't change my childhood now, but the first two years of your life are when 80% of your brain is developed and how we learn how to love, how we attach or we don't with our parents sets the tone for how we will be in relationships. Now, attachment theorists used to say that 50% of people were secure and 20% of people had what we call anxious ambivalent. Another, about 25, 23%, 23% had um, anxious avoidance style. And then the majority, like the, the remainder, about seven or 8% had what we call disorganized or fearful avoidant types. I actually said, wow, only 50% are insecure? 50% of people are secure? I don't buy it. But that was what the data said. And that's going back to children. When we did, there's a study, actually, a laboratory study called the strange situation, where you actually bring in, and what's important about attachment styles is it's only under threat that you see someone's true attachment style. And this comes back to dating because under the threat in dating is the ambiguity of not knowing, are you going to hurt me or not? So we see someone's attachment style come out. So the insecure person now as an adult, a person who has an anxious ambivalent, who is what I was, I call myself nervous Nora. So I took out the negative stereotypes and created characters. So I created something I call the love style quiz. And the love style is your attachment style plus your communication style. Created my quiz, which has become incredibly popular for people to just normalize and have a relatable character. So nervous Nora, the anxious ambivalent person, is going to attach quickly. Why? Because in my childhood, my parents were there for me sometimes, but not others. So now I overthink, I overconnect, I need to feel seen, heard, and validated by you, or otherwise I feel dysregulated. My nervous system, I call her nervous Nora because it's not just anxiety, my nervous system is sensitive. I feel needy. I I feel like I need a lot of confirmation. If I don't get a text from you, I'm like, oh shit, he's breaking up with me. Instead of just thinking like, oh, he's probably busy, right? So that's a whole dynamic. And it turns out from evidence from my quiz that 46% of the population actually is the nervous type, Mm. not 23% that we originally thought. And the statistics are that it's not getting better either. So with social media, with parenting mothers who are anxious themselves, constantly worried, like, am I a good enough mother, et cetera, I can transfer this to my children too. And it's that dynamic, it's the relationship, this attachment that sets the tone. And Dr. Bowlby said it's from cradle to grave. 
meaning that unless you actually do something to help change that, treat your anxiety, that that will be a predominant theme and you will continue the pattern. Then the next most popular type, I call them independent instead of calling them avoidant because what do they seek? They seek independence. This is a person who has low affect, low need. They need space. They need peace. They show up differently. This is kind of sometimes the bad boy or a woman who's kind of cool and mysterious, like, I don't need that. And they don't understand the rest of the world, why everybody else is so damn dramatic. Then there is the fearful avoidant, which is a combination of both of those who has suffered abuse, trauma, significant uh, neglect. And so they're going to have a lot of issues and they're going to be confused in their relationships. And then there are ideally the secure people, which is who we want to be like. So you have to know that there are some secure people out there who unconditionally got their needs met, felt unconditionally loved by their parents. And now it's like, how do I know the secrets of the secure person so I can try to be more like them and move towards security and then create a relationship that feels secure? I love everything about attachment theory, and I was definitely that anxious attacher. In my 20s, 100% me, I'm embarrassed at some of the stories that I have. I would send paragraphs. I would ruminate. <laughs> when I was married, I, <laughs> I, I at one point when he tried to leave, I literally remember like, being on the side of the car, like you are not going anywhere. And I'm just like, I look back at it. I'm like, are you crazy? And I'm not a crazy person. But at that, yeah. at that time, I was so anxiously attached and just, it would consume my every being. Now in my thirties, I like to consider myself a more secure attacher with sometimes anxious tendencies. Mm -hmm. yes. I think those anxious tendencies will always be there, yes. but I'm able to pinpoint them, trigger them, get to the root, and maybe do some conflict resolution mm -hmm. that would be a mm -hmm. more better choice because I have that self-awareness yes. now. But that yes. took many years of self-insight, self-work. But for those that are listening right now and they're like, oh my God, that's me, whether avoidant, secure attachment or anxious, what are some coping strategies that maybe somebody can do if they fall more on the anxious side? Because we know that there's a good majority of the population who yeah. are anxious attachers. And so if, if there's an anxious attacher listening, they're trying to navigate the dating world or their relationship world. What are some tips that they can do maybe to improve their communication and maybe help them ensure that they can find a more healthy relationship? Well, um, Chris, I have developed like my own courses to do this, but I have developed a, a four-step model that uses science, that uses psychology. And I say that the healing needs to happen from the inside out. So you really have to heal. You have to be secure enough. We don't ever really kind of heal ourselves because the healing happens in context, in relationships, but I have to be secure enough with myself so I can set good boundaries and communicate and be okay in my own body, right? And not be so anxious that then I can even be in a relationship with you and then the greater healing happens together. So in the child model, it's like hundreds of thousands of negative experiences happened for me to be this way. Now I need hundreds of thousands of corrective experiences for me to relax and breathe into my relationship for us to then heal together, if that makes sense. But 
the four steps, let me just go over. One starts with the body because your issues are in your tissues. Okay, we embody this. So if I'm anxiously watching for your everything, I have a physiological reaction to that. My heart is racing. Um, my neurotransmitters are sending me false signals of like, you know, people say this, I always joke around, they say like, trust your gut. I'm like, your gut is full of gas, Nora. You're an anxious person. Don't listen to that. Like we believe that our thoughts are real. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're hypervigilant. You're, you're responding to a signal. And it's like, I have the smoke detector going off. I'm like, you just burned the toast. The house is not on fire. Okay. So one, you have to calm your body. Okay. Somatic therapy, techniques for breathing, meditation, breath work, move your body exercise. If you're not calm in your body, you got nothing else. It's like you're sick, right? You have to find ways to better treat your body. Now, second, we're moving up the brainstem. You need to like heal your story because you have a story about love. The story is I'm a victim. Everyone disappoints me. I can't trust anyone. If you don't heal that story and you don't have a new future vision of a story of that it only takes one or love is possible, then I keep recreating this old narrative. I'm stuck in my own loop. Step three is the cognitive process. I was trained as a cognitive behavioral therapist. My thoughts affect my behaviors. If I believe there are no good men to date, I spend no time dating. Mm. Okay. My behaviors come from my thoughts. I have to change the way that I think about relationships, about dating in order to change my behaviors. Okay, that's step three, change my thoughts. And step four, I need to change my actions. Because again, if I'm standing in line on my phone and I'm not spending any time being out and upward and, and creating actions to create love, then I'm doing nothing. Then it's just a wish. I'm not taking action. So mind, body, thoughts, and action. Those are the four love steps that. that I tell people. I love that because people want to be told what to do because they don't know yes. what to do. So these are like yes. con concrete protocols yes. that people can do. And um, and I'm going to link everything because I think that's amazing. And I want people to be able to find you. And, you know, speaking of attachment and and mental health, we have a lot of stuff going on in the news right now. I think a oh, lot of God, people are yeah. following, you know, Johnny Depp and Amber yes. And I think it's so fascinating. One, it is a little bit entertaining. I'm not going to lie. But it, it it's sad, too, because from what I can gather, it was a very toxic relationship. Yes. There definitely seems to be some personality disorder stuff going mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. and how I'm kind of what the evidence that is showing. But a lot of people are Team Johnny right now. Not asking if you're Team Johnny or Team Amber, but I'm, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts as somebody who's in the mental health field, who's in the relationship and dating field. What are your thoughts on the evidence that's been presented so far? Oh, my gosh. I was I was in Mexico when the trial started, and I literally had to get back and then like watch hours of um, – here's the thing. I'm not Team either. I'm Team Therapy is Cool. <laughs> Because I think what's sad to me, Carice, is despite the fact that this couple has so many resources, that there is trauma from both people. Johnny oh, yeah. was open and, and Johnny went first, right? And his defense team did a really good job presenting his abandonment issues, that his mother was abusive, that he had suffered at the hands and then watched his father take it, right? I mean, 
How sad and tragic was that? And he's got, you know, people, his family, his sister supporting him. And he has some more evidence about that. And then Dr. Curry, was it Shannon Curry, uh, the forensic woman, did a wonderful job describing what the MMPI is. She brought a lot of validity. And borderline personality disorder is a real thing. And what people don't understand and I, I, I literally just have this Marsha Linehan, um, a book on borderline personality disorder, how a borderline is created. I think this is fascinating. It's like, I'm a child and I say, mommy, I'm hungry. And my mother says, no, you're not. You just ate. Mommy, I'm hungry. No, you're not. You just ate. And so as a child, I learn that I've been invalidated by my parent. Now I go from zero to 100 like that. So if that was, in fact, the case of how Amber became a borderline personality, she is quick in response. But the only way that I can look at it, because I don't know who the primary aggressor was. This is the problem. Like this, this whole thing is, is this mutual abuse? That was the question. The couple's therapist brought that term in. That was Dr. Laurel Anderson. She's raising this concept. Is it mutual abuse? The women who are taking Amber's side are saying, no, a woman is disempowered. The man has more power. He has more fans. He had more to lose, et cetera. But I look at it from an attachment wound. They both fall into, in, in my mind, that confused type. They both came from abusive families and they mutually triggered each other. And it brought out the worst in them. But this is why this trauma bond, we call it, is so why neither of them could leave. Because here's the thing. As a couples therapist, I'm not team either. It's neither... I feel like you're the only one who gets me because you had trauma and so did I. And we find, and so, because instead the reality question is this wasn't working. Why the hell did it drag on for so long? That couple's therapist, by the way, didn't have a chance in hell. At this point, I'm serious. Like when couples come to me, this is literally in the literature. It's usually by the time a couple gets to therapy, it's six years too late. Now Mm -hmm. you're coming to me as a witness and I don't want to, I don't want to see high profile clients because I don't want to be that therapist because that's awful. I mean, people rip these therapists apart for what they look like and what they wear, like so off topic. It's just, it's really awful to watch, but that couple didn't have a chance because they're already thinking I need to get out of here. You already know something's wrong. And now you just want to witness. And I, we need to normalize people make mistakes in relationships. They come into relationships unhealed with their own trauma. They're trying to get healing from somebody who's not healed. So how can you heal me if you haven't done your work and I haven't done my work? We're just going to act out each other's stuff. So it's a lose-lose as I see it. The case is, is this a defamation was his career marred by that? Did she make it up? We're going to have to see what the jurors think because they are being privy to all of this. And I honestly mm-hmm. feel bad for the jurors. I mean, I would not want to be, I mean, I think because our own lived experience is going to be our reaction too. 
right? So if I was a man, and I've seen plenty of this in the comments, and I had a borderline wife, and I was abused, and I feel like men can't talk about their abuse, I'm going to side with Johnny, right? Versus if I'm a woman, and I have been disempowered by a man, and I've suffered emotional and physical abuse, I'm going to be siding with Amber. So mm -hmm. I'm just praying to God that we have 12 neutral jurors who haven't had either one of those experiences, because those are the people who have to then take all this information and make a decision about that. So true. So true. And the the whole borderline personality um, description is so spot on. I'm a product of a BPD mother, and mm -hmm. I understand how dysfunctional that can be. And luckily, you know, the cycle stopped with me, but I, I can have compassion for yes. Amber, yes. but it, it does appear that there's some really, really like exclusive toxicity between both of them. And, um, you know, but it, it does lead me to, you know, think about too, that men can also be victims yes. of domestic violence. Yes. Um, there was also another show that I watched. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I'm not a big reality TV person, but I ended up watching the ultimatum. Like oh, yeah. most people did. I wanted to know, A, did you watch it? If yes. you did, what are your thoughts about Corey? Corey, I don't know if you remember, he was yes. the cowboy guy. I'm oh, very yeah. curious to hear what you think about him. Can I ask you what you thought of him first? Yes, I think tell he's me, a narcissist. Me. I think okay. he's a narcissist. I, you know, at first I really liked him. I'm like, oh, he's charming. He's yes. nice. But then the more we got into the show and the more that I, you know, saw his interactions with other people and his interactions with his partner and the gaslighting that was going on and the breadcrumbing mm -hmm. and just how quickly he wanted to get married so quick. Now, I, I am mm -hmm. familiar with the fact that, yes, things can be edited. So, you know, yes. this is a blanket statement. But when my my initial reaction, my intuition, as soon as he's like, well, let's get married today. And I'm like, oh, God, he's 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 trying to nail it right now because he doesn't mm -hmm. want to lose it. Mm -hmm. And my initial reaction was this guy is a narcissist. Yeah. And I hope I'm wrong. But that's that's what I think. I can't disagree with that. I watched it closely and I did a videotape on it. What's interesting is Colby was the only man who made the ultimatum, right? And the, the show for people who haven't watched it is um, either you marry me or we move on. Mm -hmm. And so they were dating for two years or two and a half years or something, met in college. Madeline was his partner. Um, I think Colby in, I can see that I'm careful about the word narcissism because that's mm -hmm. loaded. But he clearly does have an ego and needs a lot of validation, right? I yes. mean, I thought he was an anxiously attached person who needs like, a, like, tell me, tell me, tell me how great I am. And he was upset mm -hmm. with Madeline, like not giving him enough of that. And so he was trying to get that from the other women. And he tries to like be this good guy who, oh, yeah, I really want this relationship. Like, isn't that what every woman wants to hear, right? Mm -hmm. How dare you not give that to me? But I thought the impromptu wedding at the end was what I called a love bomb wedding. Yes. Yes. I mean, he and love bombing is coming on super strong. So I don't have to take the necessary steps to go through the ambivalence, to go through the planning, to go through all the feelings. And I don't have to tolerate your feelings of upset with me. I'm just going to come in and I'm going to make a decision like a cowboy. I'll have to tell you, Chris, I at one point thought that I was going a little bit crazy because I said to my husband, how do we know that Colby and Madeline aren't a plant? 
I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but here's the thing. Netflix came up with a brand new show. And some people question, because now I don't want to spoil this for anyone, so stop listening. If you, but then they come back at the reunion and she's pregnant, right? I know. I okay? was like, she's so pregnant. <laughs> here's the thing that I thought, and, and again, I don't want to appear like a kooky psychologist, but how mm-hmm. do we know that Netflix actually didn't take an already married couple? Mm-hmm. Because something didn't fit for me about Madeline. Like she went, because they the way they edited it was that she was going to, no way, I'm not going to be with him. And then all of a sudden they're getting married and boom, she's pregnant. And mm-hmm. there's no discussion of that. So now I've seen other couples, I followed Love is Blind closely, where they got a bad edit and they came back at the reunion to help the followers get up to speed. And they didn't do that. So I still think, I wondered that he is an actor and they were already possibly married. That's an interesting perspective. I was, you know, I watched Love is Blind too. Um, and <laughs> I can't remember the guy's name, the Indian guy. Um, Shake. Uh, oh, I was, oh my gosh. So Chris, I was on Shake's podcast, which is launching next week. Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, I would, I would be so interested to have him yes. on my show. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I would be interested in having and hearing what he have to say. I I, I open the platform for all sides, but yes. that's that's an that's very interesting. I will have to tune into that. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll leave that one there, and I'll I'll have to tune into to that one. But I, it's but a very interesting perspective. These are highly edited shows, and they yes. need a villain. And um, yeah. So regardless. And if if Colby isn't an actor, um, he is certainly a man who didn't want to go the slow, necessary steps. And I do think a lot, because a lot of people DM'd me and said, you know, this whole idea, and some other women said, you know, I eloped for my wedding too, and I regret it. Mm -hmm. That it was too fast. I didn't get the opportunity. And if you're so close to friends and family, why wouldn't you celebrate it? And or show us a videotape of the ceremony you had after or bring us along. Um, like Nick and Danielle did a really nice job of like showing us their relationship behind the scenes. And that was missing for me. So the problem I had with the ultimatum is that we didn't see a lot of growth in any of these characters. And I felt they're all young, but I felt gypped as a follower. Like when Mm -hmm. I watched the bachelor, the bachelorette, I watch a lot of these shows. People are very kind and forgiving about growth, about personal responsibility. I screwed up. I didn't see this. I didn't know this. And we can have, but I didn't see that in the ultimatum. I just saw people like nitpicking and arguing over not getting their needs met. And there wasn't like wolf between now and then all this happened. So I'm a big fan for not having therapy at the forefront, but after Each of these people should have a couples therapist helping them integrate into the world, uh, helping them because there is so much social media kind of flack, um, helping them learn from the experience. Because we otherwise, we like throw these people out for all of our benefit, for Netflix, for, for ABC to get the ratings. And these people, and they're coming out after, after they're, they're, clause is done in the media two years later to talk about how they were treated like crap. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I'm like, that's not really fair. I mean, put it into some context because why these shows bring out, and by the way, most anxiously attached people go on the shows because they want love, they, they want a connection. And 
they're going to be more likely to talk about things and be dramatic. Um, mm-hmm. But we're not, we're not taking care of them. And I feel a certain bit of capitalizing on people's vulnerabilities. And so as a mm-hmm. therapist watching this, I'm just always aware of who's there to support them. I love that view. I think that that's important. And a fun fact, so I wasn't on a reality TV, but I, I was on the Steve Harvey show a oh, couple years wow. back. Yeah. And yeah. we did a we did a dating segment. Um, I did not find love. The way that they searched for the men was through Tinder. And I was like, well, I could have done that. But yeah. I will say that they, even including Steve, was very much, uh, they, they really do try. But right. I am somebody who is, I see 45 to 60 minutes of filming that is put down into about an eight minute segment. So people do have to understand because I got a lot of flack. People were like, oh, she just wants a man with money. She's a social worker. She probably doesn't make it. She's a single mom. She just wants someone to take her care of her kid. I'm just like, in my head, I'm thinking, I was like, I make great money. I am you very independent. That? Right, like eight minutes? Like, Come on. Yes. Yeah. I like, I'm a single parent. I'm a great mom, you know? And I say that humbly, but you know, but that's what the, these people will come up with their own narrative based off of what they see. Oh, look at, she probably gets Botox and fillers and that. I'm like, oh my God, you're going to attack my looks. That's how it, so it's very, very, I'm compassionate with people who go on these shows too, because mm-hmm. it's very hard, but I love how you have just broken down your view on your views on dating and relationships. And I am so appreciative of somebody like you who has this platform for people to not only like, you're not just somebody that's spewing out opinions. Like you're, you're actually bringing forth data, like from a cognitive behavioral standpoint to say, these are the things that work. This is my step process that will work for you. You have to put in the effort. So if you could come up with one piece of advice to give to the audience who is dating and really, you know, into the dating field, what would that one piece of advice be? Or even maybe to your younger self? Your desire for love has have, has to be bigger than your fear. Ooh, that's what I would that's say. That's powerful. That's big. That you've got to put your actions, put your money where your mouth is. If you say you want love, then do what I did. Get intentional, set a plan, go out and get the data. Stop complaining that there are no good people out there. Go experience people. Go get better. Like take a look, you know, we have to look in the mirror. Back to your point, like I say I want blank, blank, blank. Am I bringing that? You know, it's so easy to say, oh, you know, somebody blindsided me, but am I blindsiding someone else? Because I can be blindsiding somebody when I don't authentically know who I am and I don't speak up for what I want. I'm a nervous Nora, but I pretend I'm this cool, independent person. Oh, it's fine. No worries. And then it's only a matter of time before like your truth comes out. So like the more truthful, authentic, the more integrated is a word we use in therapy that you can be, you're more likely to find what you want. And then do the work consistently because it doesn't just, it doesn't end there. We're just starting, right? And now it's a new person and understand their communication style and their attachment style. And then the healing comes from, I say, it doesn't matter where you start. It only matters where you end. Two unhealthy people from insecure can create health together. You don't always have to have an Amber and Johnny kind of toxic ending. It it could be, it, as even Johnny said, it could have been different. It could have been. 
It could have been. That's powerful. Well, thank you so much for your time, your energy. This was an amazing conversation. I can't wait to come back and listen to it because there's some gems that I'm going to pick up for my own life and my own dating life. Um, Thank you so much. I am going to link everything from your website to where people can take your course because I think that this is so informative and I know that people can benefit from your expertise and your education. So thank you so much. Well, I'm so humbled. And Chris, thank you for what you do for men and women and for being, um, you know, a voice for speaking about being empathic and vulnerable. And we need, we need just more of that in the world, right? Yes, absolutely. All right, Dr. Sarkowski, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and your effort. Thank you. Thank you.